0: Well, good morning. How are y'all this morning? Welcome to the Hills. My name's Jeremy, I'm the campus pastor here at the Hills West Fort Worth, and it is uh, an honor to get to preach uh, here today. Just so you know, if this is your first time here, next week our senior teaching pastor will begin a new series. So if the preaching stinks today, come back next week for a better message. We hope we hope you'll do that. Hope y'all have had a wonderful holiday week. Uh, As different as it's been, that it's been sweet for you as well. That there have been reminders of how much we have to be thankful for. Well, church, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember feeling so lost. I remember feeling like I didn't know how I could go through another day. It seemed like everything I knew had just crumbled down around me. It was as if the future as I had envisioned it was no longer possible. I didn't know what was next, and I certainly didn't know how to move forward. I was hopeless. And as a follower of Jesus, I realize now that in those days, I'd put my hope in things that couldn't hold it or sustain it. And to be able to move forward, that would have to change. I would have to change. This was 20 years ago. Just yesterday was the 20th anniversary of my dad passing away suddenly in his sleep. I was 17 years old and I can still relive those moments vividly in my mind. I remember the day when the feeling of hopelessness seemed to take over. It was the Sunday night after my dad's funeral. Since the day he died, we'd been in the midst of a whirlwind of arrangements and a constant flow of friends and family through our house with more food than we could possibly eat. And thanks to that constant activity, we kept our minds occupied. But the funeral was over. Everyone had gone home. And now it was just me, my younger sister, and my mom in a very quiet house full of flowers that none of us wanted to look at because of what they reminded us of. And the next morning, I was supposed to go back to my senior year of high school. And it seemed like the world around me would go back to normal, but not for me. Not for my family and that's when I remember feeling hopeless for the very first time in my life maybe you've been there maybe you are there maybe the longer and longer this crazy year of 2020 drags on the more and more you feel it is it ever gonna end will it ever get better will life ever go back to the way it used to be. At times things feel completely out of control and there's nothing that any of us can do but just wait. Maybe this year, for you, has brought with it some feelings of hopelessness. You know, hopelessness isn't new. It goes way back to the beginning. As scripture tells us in the creation account, In Genesis, God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden, and it says that everything was good. They had everything that they needed. They were healthy because there was no sickness. They were never hungry because God provided all the food that they needed. They didn't experience pain, and they didn't age. Wouldn't that be nice? They spent their days in the garden, and they walked with God in perfect community. From everything that I can see in scripture, hope at that time didn't exist. Everything was provided for them, so there was never a worry of not having enough. There was no need for hope because everything was perfect. But if you're familiar with the story, then you likely know what happens next. The evil one shows up, and tempts Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree by telling them that if they ate it, they would become like God. And so they violated the only law that God had given them in the garden. And with their sin, creation was forever changed. Because of their sin, they were moved out of the garden and separated from God. The beautiful communion they shared with Him in the garden was destroyed. And so often, we think of sin as an isolated act, as something that we do. But when we read this account from the garden, and as we read more of God's Word, we learn that God views sin not just as an act, but as a fatal disease. That with Adam and Eve's disobedience, the disease of sin was unleashed on the world and it began to infect and kill and destroy everything, including their intimacy with God. Now, instead of walking daily with God, they were at a distance from him. They were outside of the garden looking in and for the very first time experiencing separation from their creator. For the first time, they were hopeless with no way back to God. Hopelessness isn't new. And from that first act of disobedience against God to today, creation has been falling apart. Decay and destruction continue to have their way. It's easy to see just by looking around. Brokenness is everywhere. Sickness, disease, poverty, hatred, injustice, relationships that don't last. Brokenness. It touches everything, including our own lives and the ones that we love the most. And if left on our own to figure things out, it doesn't take very long at all for hopelessness to set in. 2020 has been a poignant reminder of that. There is nothing we can do to change, fix, or solve the things going on around us. Death, destruction, decay, because of the disease of sin. So there's your encouraging message for today. Thank you for coming to church this morning. (laughs) There is nothing that can be done to reverse the, the, the effects of this sin disease. That is nothing without the unfailing love and faithfulness of our God. And so today is the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday in the Christmas season where much of the world begins to turn and acknowledge our need for something more. If you ask 10 different people what is special about the Christmas season, you'd probably get 10 different answers. There is just something magical about Christmas. I saw it over the past two days as I drug box after box out of our attic of Christmas decorations and watched my girls open them up and get excited about every single ornament hook that they saw, right? There is just something exciting, something special, something magical about this season. But I think at the heart of what we feel at Christmas is that deep down, we humans realize that something is critically wrong with our world, that there is a deep need that we simply don't know how to address. Maybe much of the world wouldn't call it sin, but call it what you will, if we're honest, if each person were honest, we see that there is something wrong. And whether we acknowledge it or not, what the first Sunday of Advent tells us is that the world is looking for something better. That we can see that there has to be more to life than just what we experience today. That there has to be a better way to live. Christmas brings with it the anticipation of a future that is better than the present. And through the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, that future is not only possible, it's a promise it's hope. Hope is what draws us in and captivates us during the Advent season. You know, hope is a word that gets tossed around a lot. I I hope I get this promotion. I hope my kids stay healthy. I hope the Cowboys win. Not much chance of that this year, right folks? I'm a Bears fan and I can say that about the Bears too. And so often when we use the word hope, what we're really talking about Is optimism. Optimism says that in any situation I can choose to see how the circumstances might work out for the best. Optimism, uh, biblical hope, is not optimism. It's not just a glass half-full view. It's not just looking on the bright side. Biblical hope goes so much deeper. In Scripture, there are a couple of words that are translated into hope. One is the Hebrew word that is used to describe what Noah did as the waters receded around the ark. It simply means to wait. But the second word has its roots in the Hebrew word for cord. And I'm certainly not a Hebrew scholar, nor do I have any desire to be, but As I've read about this word, the best description I found was this, that when you pull both ends of a cord, the tension builds and builds and builds until eventually it breaks and is released. And so this word refers to the feeling of tension and expectation while waiting for something to happen. Maybe a little something like this. What's it going to do? Gosh. Who's in there? Rainy. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Tension building. Waiting with expectation. This word, hope. This waiting with expectation. It's critical for those of us who have said yes to Jesus. The Jesus way of life is built on hope. And so we must have a clear understanding of what it is we put our hope in. So if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. You can go to the Bible app on your phone if you'd like to do that. We're going to start in verse 20. The Apostle Paul is the writer of this passage. And in verse 20, he goes back and draws on the event in Genesis that we talked about just a few minutes ago, when the need for hope entered the world, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and the disease of sin began its rampage. And he says this, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, But by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so Paul says that we, that all of creation, are going to be frustrated, that life on earth is going to be a mess, that this disease of sin entered the world and is running rampant and it touches everything. It impacts everything. It corrupts everything. Creation was subjected to frustration and sin is going to run its course in the world around us. And this frustration is not by our own choice but rather by God's will in hope that one day all of creation, including us, will be liberated from our bondage To decay. And then continuing in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies." And so this frustration we experience, this frustration of creation, this tension that we feel between the reality of the brokenness that we experience in our world today and this gut feeling that surely there is more to life than this. It gives us a longing for something better, an ache for something more, something different, something beyond this life, freedom from the damaging effects of sin. All creation groans expectantly for the coming redemption. All creation waits with expectation. Hope. Then in verse 24, for in this hope, this hope that there's more to life than this. This hope that we will no longer be in bondage to decay. For in this hope, and folks I want you to hear he's talking specifically to those of us who have said yes and put our faith in Jesus. For in this hope we were saved. He's saying that when you said yes to Jesus, when when you became a follower of His, you were instantly linked to a bigger story a bigger and better story that has a much better ending that goes way beyond life as we see it today. We said yes to a future hope. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So this hope for something better, this hope for something more, this expectant waiting for something beyond what we experience in this life. Verse 25 says that as we hope for what we do not yet have, we should wait patiently. That as we wait for what is yet to come, don't don't get distracted. Don't let your focus drift don't put your hope don't let it move to things of this world because ultimately that will only bring frustration and disappointment because everything in this world is in bondage to decay but you follower of Jesus you have something to look forward to wait Patiently, But as you wait patiently, know this in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And so as we wait, we know that God joins us here. He meets us here in the brokenness. That He knows just what we need because His Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We know that God is at work even now, even when we may not be able to see it, even when we may not understand it, He is at work now. And He's at work on our behalf, working all things together for good because of His unfailing love for us. And when we find ourselves frustrated, God understands, He hears our prayers. Even when we don't know what to say, or what we need even when things are so bad that all we can do is groan in the pain and the agony that sometimes comes with life in this hopelessly broken place but maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking but it's just so bad things are just so hard i don't think i can take Another disappointment. I don't think I can go through another day. I don't know if I can walk through one more hurt. And if you've been in that pit of despair, if you've been in that hopeless place, that desperate place, then you know what it's like to lay in bed, not wanting to face another day, crying out to God because you know that there is nothing that can be done to change your circumstances. And I understand how hard it can be. I remember that feeling. That hopelessness that I felt for the first time 20 years ago. I understand how this life can at some time seem so very pointless. That sense of isolation that can creep in at times while we wait. But then he says this in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? These frustrating, painful, agonizing things. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you and for me, how will he not also, along with that sacrifice, give us the very best things as well? As God becomes the focus of your hope, as you center your expectations in the unfailing love of your heavenly Father, he says that that is the only place where hope will not disappoint. And then Paul finishes with this, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then down in 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then in verse 38, for I am convinced. Now remember who is saying this. This is Paul, who's been through unimaginable things for the sake of the gospel. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been in prison. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's been through unimaginable things. He's been through it all for the sake of the gospel. And yet he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Paul is saying. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time trying to put your hope in things that can't hold it or sustain it. Put your hope in something secure. Something that will never fade, that will never decay, and will never disappoint. We place our hope in God's love for us. And so when life seems to be crumbling around you, when your health gives out, when your kids choose to go down a path that you would never have chosen for them, when your company who you've sacrificed for and invested in decides that they're not going to invest in you anymore and you're let go, when your marriage fails, when the circumstances around you pile up and you see no way forward, put your hope in the unfailing love of your heavenly Father because it will never disappoint. Because this hope we're talking about, it is not affected by circumstances. In fact, when we look at the most hopeful people in scripture, we see that their hope often had nothing to do with circumstances. Usually, there's no evidence at all that things around them are getting better and yet, they choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in the darkest times when Israel had turned away from God and was being oppressed by foreign empires on every side. And yet in chapter two of Hosea, we see him choose hope when he says that God could turn their valley of trouble into a door of hope, just like the day when he led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. In other words, in that dark time, when it seemed like all was lost, Like there was no hope and no way forward, Hosea leans on the truth that once before when they least expected it, God surprised his people with redemption by leading them out of Egypt and he could certainly do it again. For Hosea, God's faithfulness in the past motivated his hope for the future. And so no matter the circumstances, no matter how things might look, no matter If there appears to be a way forward or not, we choose hope anyway because God has been faithful in the past, He is faithful today, and He will be faithful in the future. And so we look forward by looking backward, trusting in the character of God and in His unfailing love for us. Now, church, I need to confess something to you this morning. This year for me, has been one of the most difficult I have ever walked through. If you'd asked me in March, as we were heading into all this, how hard it was gonna be, I never would have imagined it taking the toll on me that it's taken this year. And there have been some moments when I've realized that I've put my hope in places where it didn't belong. That I've put it on things that couldn't hold it or sustain it. You know, next Sunday is one year from when we moved into this new building. And for three years leading up to the move, I and our ministry team here at West Fort Worth, we worked hard. And we spent lots of energy and lots of time preparing and getting ready for where we believed God was leading this campus of the Hills Church. And then as this building was completed and we, we finally moved in, we were overwhelmed by God's goodness and His faithfulness and the ways we saw Him move. We were seeing people reached for Jesus. Our campus was growing and making an impact in ways that we knew only God could do. And so going into 2020, on the heels of all that, I was full of hope and expectation for what this year would be for the West Fort Worth campus of the Hills. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden it seemed like everything we'd hoped for, everything we'd prepared for, just stopped. And I have to tell you, it was really, really hard. And I struggled for months. And for some time I really wasn't even able to identify what it was I was feeling and wrestling with. And then finally the Lord made it clear. It was grief. I was grieving my hopes, my plans, my expectations for this year. And what I've realized since then is that somewhere along the way, while I was still trying to follow the Lord's leading, I'd begun to place my hope where it didn't belong. Rather than my hope resting firmly in the reality of God's love, I'd started to put my hope in my plans. I started to put it in my own dreams, my own expectations, and a big one for me, my own ability to work hard. And while all those can be good things, none of them are good enough to sustain my hope. And so as we yet again saw evidence of decay happening all around us, and COVID hit, I felt lost for a time. And if I'm being honest, my hope took a hit as well. And so today, this message is for me. It's a word God spoke to me. It comes from my heart and my own conviction, wrestling with and grappling with disappointment and frustration. Because while my disappointment and frustration and grief This year has been very real. You know what? So has God's faithful love and his faithfulness. And so when I wonder about the circumstances and what they may bring and what the future holds here at West Fort Worth, I look backward to see God's past faithfulness. And I trust in his character and his unfailing love and keep moving forward. And the greatest expression of that deep and unfailing love is God choosing himself to live among us as a human, then being willing to go to the cross and sacrifice himself on our behalf, and then be raised to life again three days later. More than once in Romans, Paul says that the good news of Jesus' resurrection announces the hope of future glory. Jesus has overcome death, and it is a foretaste of what God plans for all creation, for you and for me. A hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery and and corruption and decay into freedom. Our hope as Jesus' people is bold waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued and redeemed from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy. Maybe it is. But biblical hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward with confidence and joy. It says this in Hebrews chapter 6, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And so for each of us, in light of all of this, what do we do when we realize that we've misplaced our hope? I'm going to borrow a phrase from my dad. He used to say, move it or lose it. When our hope is placed in something that can't sustain it, we either move it to something that can, the only thing that can, or we will lose it. And so may each of us today be reminded of the only thing that can sustain our hope. May we learn to place our hope only in God's deep and unfailing love for us. In Psalm 39, I love this verse, verse seven. And so Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Can you say that last part with me? My only hope is in you. Now you said that with your church voices. Let's say that like we mean it. My only hope is in you. One more time. My only hope is in you. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, you are so very good to us. And Father, even in seasons where we are floundering, where maybe we lose sight of who you are and how good you are and how faithful you are, you're so patient with us and you're so good to us. And you're faithful even when we don't believe it, even when we don't see it. You're consistent and your love for us is deep and wide and enduring. And so God, in a world that tells us to put our hope in all kinds of places, today, God, would you help us to move it to the only place that it belongs as followers of you? Would you help us to move it firmly into your unfailing love for each one of us? Help us know that we can trust you that you are good and you are faithful and you will never disappoint we love you and it's through jesus i pray amen